You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. Well, it's, it's great to be here. I don't even know really what to say when it comes to these introduction type things, but I love this church and I love this city. I can't help but think every time I'm back here, uh, why did I leave again? <laughs> and, uh, and then I remember, uh, the call of God that me and Cassie really felt like was on our lives to go to Cleveland. And, and we did not leave Paragold, but we really felt like we were sent to Cleveland and getting to see some good friends these last couple days that I miss deeply ha- has been wonderful. And for the many of you that I hadn't got to see or talk to, it's not because I don't love you. It's because I'm, I'm not a good planner. And I was just texting random people on my way here. Uh, but this past year and a half has been really hard in a lot of weird ways. For some of you, maybe it's been easy, but at least for us, even though, like I told Jared, we were blessed in a lot of ways as a church, it wasn't, it wasn't because things were just like easy. And I would say that in most churches, things are usually not easy. Uh, and so I'm just going to say this, ever how lazy it sounds. I didn't prepare a new sermon for this morning. (laughs) Boo. But, uh, uh, (laughs) But one that, and the reason, the reason I'm telling y'all that is because after having some conversations with some folks and some of you, I don't want you to think that I like prepared a sermon in light of what you've told me. <laughs> uh, because it's, it may be going to feel like that in a minute. <laughs> and that's not it. I preached this sermon. You can go online, Matthew's Table, SoundCloud or whatever it's see in January at our church. The reason I did is because it's really hard to follow Jesus in this world. But if you want to summarize what I'm going to talk about this morning, it's also really hard to be a Christian in the church. And this last year and a half, I guess at least for me in our church, kind of brought that to the surface. Like, why in the world are we doing this? You know, I can just go home and follow Jesus. And you can find a better preacher to me than listen to on a podcast or a radio. And you can read your Bible and study it and have sweet communion with him without all this mess. Makes sense to me. And I'm the pastor. And that's probably the only reason I'm a part of stuff a lot of times. And I think that's why God made me one, right? You would not participate if you weren't leading it. I hope that's not true, but it feels like it sometimes. I'll do a lot of side notes. Like right before family meal when you're laying upstairs in your closet and your wife has to come say, you've got to go down there. But anyway, all right. So I'm going to talk about the importance of life in the local church, not based on the mess, but based on the word of God. But I want to do this and be real sensitive to acknowledging there's, there's mental health issues we face in certain seasons. We hit seasons of the dark nights of the soul. Some people have real and legitimate social anxieties and deep hurts. So I just want to say, I understand all that. There's, there's always an asterisk to everything. I can't say everything in, in this time that I have. And I didn't even ask Jared when we finished. I guess around 10s probably. 
Good, it's 9.30. All right. Uh, Jared's nervous. Uh, just how I like it. But, uh, all right. Is, is this passage in Corinthians... I'm going to help set the context because this passage does not make sense if you understand the rest of this letter that Paul writes. And so we're going to read 1 Corinthians 1, 1 through 10. We're not going to really probably touch on 10 a lot, but I, I, I think it's fitting to read in light of the context and, and where we're going. Because it not only was hard to be a Christian in the city of Corinth in the first, first century, it was hard to be a Christian in the church at Corinth. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him and all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the good news we've sang already, that you are the one who covers us in our shame, and celebrates us as your children. And Lord, we just ask right now that we know the enemy loves to take your word and twist it, loves to take truth and just guilt us and shame us and intimidate us with us. We just pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would take what is true, but you would just funnel it into our hearts through grace and love and joy and peace. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I didn't get to go to Disney World as a child, but I don't think that has wounded me at all <laughs> because I've gone to Disney World as an adult. <laughs> now, I know people love Disney World. Children, I'm sorry. Disney World's great. You adult people who go without children, it's another issue, another story, but you go to Disney World and... And you like wait in these long, hot lines, usually in the middle of the summer. And you get to this end of this ride, and it's like three seconds of, of some child, child theme. Now there are some great rides and roller coasters they've put in there, but one comedian, Jim Gaffigan, he has some hilarious things he said about this. He says, you're like waiting an hour for this Dumbo line, and you expect at the end there's gonna be a mirror that says, you're the Dumbo. <laughs> Or he's like, he wonders how they come up with rides. Like, let's drive a bumper car into a dark room with a picture of Winnie the Pooh and wait in line for an hour. Or let's just hollow out a log and shove them over a waterfall. Heck, we've got their money already anyway. Why, what do we care? 
so some, some love this, right? Some of you right now are thinking, next summer, we're saving up, we're going, have fun. But for many people, it can be a really expensive disappointment. Or what it can be is an expensive, check that off my list so I don't feel guilty about never taking my kids there. And there's this experience that goes with it and the word we're going to track with this morning of disillusionment. So what disillusionment is, if you go and look it up, it's a feeling of disappointment resulting from the discovery that something is not as good as one believed it to be. Again, disillusionment, a feeling of disappointment, we might say deep disappointment, that you discover that something is not as good as you thought it was going to be. And this is exactly how many of us can feel or will feel about this thing that we call the church. Man, it sounded really good, didn't it? That preacher really can cast a good vision. And we had some good times in those early days, didn't we? Remember when the Spirit was at work among us? It was really good getting here. But now, it just feels like an expensive disappointment. And maybe not expensive in terms of money, but in terms of, of your time. But even more in terms of your heart. In terms of relationships, I might actually still be friends with these people if we weren't in church together. And for many people, expensive sometimes in the cost of your very faith. You just don't walk away with broken expectations and broken relationships, but sometimes you walk away and you say, I don't even know if any of this stuff's real. Our church talks about wanting to make Jesus known to the broken, burnout, and bored, but sometimes it feels like church leaves you feeling more broken and burnout. Maybe it was just all fake anyway. Or forced. And then I could talk all day long. When I did this whole series, I did an individual sermon on all of our identities, disciples, family, servants, missionaries, and just went at like disillusionment with all those. Family? (laughs) Disciples, uh, well, what do you mean? Depends, right? Let's just keep changing the definition of it. You know, maybe one day we'll find something that works, right? Servants, when was the last time we actually served somebody together? Missionaries, well, I shared the gospel of this guy. I, the true story, this past week, a guy pouring into, died of a fentanyl overdose. Never made a profession of faith. What's the point? And maybe some of you here are disillusioned like I get. Some of you are thinking about leaving the church. Some of you may have already left it, but you're still showing up. You know, you can leave things and still be present in the body. Some of your marriages are probably like that. And your relationship with the church can be like that because you like... I don't want Jared to send me a text message asking me where I am. It's just easier just to show up. And so we've got to ask a question. How has God decided to manifest his kingdom on earth? 
And I might be wrong, but reading my Bible, it seems like it's the local church. I would say I know it is. Individual Christians are great. Individual Christian families are great. Random groups of Christian friends are great. But as crazy as it may seem, God has decided to manifest his kingdom, his love, his grace. And that's where we're going to drill in today. A lot of grace through this mess that we know is the local church as his beautiful design. And so if we are to endure as God's people, as God's church on God's mission then our disillusionment with the local church is going to have to be met and even matched by God's devotion to the local church. Say that again. If we are going to endure as God's people on God's mission, because we've heard it. I don't know who said it first. It's not that the church has a mission. It's that God's church, God's mission has the church. It's this vehicle for doing this. And so if we're going to be able to endure in the mess of it and our disillusionment with the local church, then we've got to be met and even matched with God's devotion to it. So how do we do that? We've got to meet God in the reality that disillusionment with the church is to be expected. Now, pastors and leaders can sell you a bill of goods that we're just going to ride this wave of, of glory throughout the city. And praise God, he gives seasons like that. But if you read the Bible, and this is why we've got to read our Bibles. <laughs> then we see we, we, we've been given preparation for this. And if nowhere else, the book of Corinth, letter of 1 Corinthians shows us this. Paul had this big vision and this big dream for planting churches and seeing the name of Jesus known where it had never been known and named before. And one of the places that took him was to the city of Corinth. So verse 1, it's Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. And our brother Sosthenes, you may not know who Sosthenes is, but if you go back to Acts chapter 18 and you read where Paul's planning this church, Sosthenes was the ruler of the synagogue. This is an amazing conversion story. That this prominent Jewish leader hears that Jesus is the long-awaited king of Israel that the world has looked for. And the Holy Spirit arrests his heart and he bows the knee to Jesus as Lord. He's with Paul still here. And then we read passages, if you flip over like 1 Corinthians 6 verses 9 through 11. This is the kind of stuff that happened. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So sometimes we think those are our clobber verses, but notice verse 11. This is his church that he planted through the power of God, that Jesus planted through Paul, that is. And he says, in such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So when we think of the church of Corinth, we got to think, these are the people that are there together. (laughs) That was their lives. And they're brought into this church through the mighty work of God, but it wasn't easy. We don't have the time to go through all of this. We're running out of time fast already, but... If you go through this book, by the end of chapter 1, this is what's happening in this church. This is why you think, Paul, do you have some kind of like 
spiritual schizophrenia going on here with what you just wrote in these first verses? Because, all right, hey, I thank God always for you. You're these people just saturated with God's grace. You lack no gift. You're going to be sustained to the end, guiltless. Okay, here's what's going on. By the end of this first chapter, Paul points out they're divided over which leaders they like the most. It's like they'd be saying, well, you know, I, I follow Jared and others in the church. Well, I'm, no, I'm a Luke man, you know, and then somebody else. I'm an Adam guy. I'm a Chuck. Like, like I, you know, I'm going to be there that week when this guy's preaching, but I'm not coming the week when that guy's preaching because he didn't pray for me when I wanted to. This is what's going on. In chapters 2 and 3, we see they've been saturated with the wisdom of the world. So much so, they're not depending on the Holy Spirit. They're living captivated by the spirit of the age. In chapter 4, they're actually getting to a point to where they're exalting themselves over Paul himself. Who does this guy think he is? You know, he planted his church, left town. Why does he think he can speak into our lives? In chapter 5, if it's not bad enough, they've been tolerating sexual immorality in the membership of their church. So there's some weird sexual stuff going on in the church that you could look up. And they're like saying like, eh, you know... People will be people. In chapter 6, they're suing each other. So when they have disagreements in the church, instead of reconciling by the gospel, they're actually taking one another to court. In chapter 7, we see they're just totally confused, not over in tolerating certain sexual issues, but there's just this real confusion over sexuality and singleness and marriage that's getting really weird. Chapter 8, they've become people who are proud and condemning people with their knowledge. This is where we read, you know, knowledge puffs up. Chapter 9 again, we see they're doubting and devaluing Paul. Chapter 10 again, they're flirting with idolatry and meat and sacrifices to idols. In chapter 11, these folks are actually getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. You thought your MC was bad. Yeah, so imagine, you're going to walk up here in a minute and get the flask out, you know. That's not what they were doing, but... They were getting drunk. And part of this drunkenness at the Lord's table is that the people who had none were pushed to the sides. And so even more than the drunkenness was this elitist mentality that was in the church that those who were rich and powerful were to be privileged over those who weren't. Some getting drunk, some having nothing to drink. Chapters 12 through 14, he's praising them here for their spiritual gifts, but like it's become this free-for-all of spiritual charismatic chaos where love has been pushed to the side. Look at our gifts while we don't love each other. In verses 15, and this is, this, this is really pushing it, but this is real. You can go read this chapter, chapter 15. They're questioning the bodily resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And Paul's having to instruct them and teach them about this very fundamental doctrine to the faith. I'm sure you could make your list for the crossing. (laughs) I'm sure you could make your list from your story. It's probably not going to be more than what we see here, though. And if it is, maybe it is. But I think the Spirit graciously just say, what did you expect? Sometimes, uh, you may, can relate with me on this. Our, our missional community is in a neighborhood. We move there. I actually work there at a nonprofit as well. So I'm a missional community leader and also a community engagement coordinator. And I remember one night right before we're having our family meal, we're getting ready, like we're bringing people together. And my buddy who lives down the street, 
is coming. I'm so glad he's there. And then there's other guy that's actually his literal neighbor. And like these guys live beside each other, but they don't really know each other. And it's like, man, look, they're here together. Well, not much time passes. They won't, they won't ever listen to this. I don't think Joe, you don't care if I say this, uh, Joe, literally I look and Joe has Frank by the neck, lifting him up and like pushing him into the wall. Frank is a jerk, but uh, I love you, Frank. I drive him every Wednesday night at the family meal, and he refuses to put his seatbelt on, and you just listen to the beep the whole time. Beep, beep. And no matter how many times you ask him, it's like, oh, it's not far. But anyway, so imagine that. So Joe, Joe has Frank by the neck, and you're thinking, this is what happens when you bring people together. I mean, Joe and Frank could sit in these seats and stare at the back of each other's heads and listen to me preach all day long. Nobody's going to get hurt. So why go be the church like we see in Acts where they're breaking bread together in one another's homes regularly? Dreams get crushed. I had a friend that went into the army with all these big ideals and he loves the army. He's committed to it. But, but he told me, he said, you know, they really take the fun out of everything. <laughs> That was what he said. It's like, you know, you, you got this image of doing all this stuff, you know, and it's like, man, you get yelled at, shooting your gun, it just ends up you're spending more time cleaning your gun than you do shooting your gun. And it's like, well, it, it turns out we're being prepared for war. And I just wonder, maybe we forgot that. Maybe we forgot that the reason we started to do this in the first place is because we, we were willing to step out of this comfortable way of being the church and actually get into the mess. But guess what? The mess is going to still be the mess. And I know that sometimes I forget that. Man, what great things that have happened in this church. Wonderful, beautiful stories all through this room. A message that Jesus did not just come to save you, but he did, and that's really good news, but he can also satisfy you. I remember hearing that proclaimed so faithfully here. But things get hard, don't they? We get disillusioned when we start to doubt, is that really true? A leader didn't come through for you and you thought it'd be different at this church. Turns out it wasn't. One of you leaders, you may have discipled somebody, baptized somebody, and then to use this new term, they've ghosted you. I'll just speak as a pastor for a minute and I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. It's tough when you love somebody and then all of a sudden you don't even, they're just gone. (laughs) What? <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> That's happened to some of you probably with friendships, right? It's like, man, we loved and prayed for you and poured into you and cared about you. And then you're scrolling through Facebook one day and you're not, you've been defriended. Then <laughs> we get mad, but it hurts. You know, I thought when I became a part of a church like this, I came from a very traditional church setting. 
And one of the things that I guess it was etched in my story at that church setting was the organ player who gives you the cold shoulder. <laughs> you know, because you forgot to do something or preach too long or whatever. And so that's, you know, this passive aggressive, you know, you're standing right here and, you know, they're just going to walk in, act like they don't see you. You're asking questions about family and kids and they don't turn to look at you, but talk to you. Turns out they're in church plants too. <laughs> they're in this church too. And it doesn't matter if you're playing an organ or whatever, do, leading the MC, and it hurts. You think people will confront each other directly in a church like ours. Never text about others behind their back. Good one. People gossip about people, about leaders. Leaders do the same about the people. You think, I stepped into this church through the doors of Acts 2, but I found myself in Corinth. And if you're new here, I don't want to burst your bubble. You will. We want to step in the door of Acts 2, right? And we, and we do. That's the pattern. But you don't even got to go to 1 Corinthians. Just keep reading in Acts. <laughs> That's why you don't need to just listen to what your preachers say. You need to just go read the whole rest of 1 Corinthians today. And we've got to be honest about this. Some of you got some lame excuses for why you're not a part of stuff or just floating around. And the real reason is you've been hurt. Maybe not by somebody, but just by the whole experience. And you don't think you can talk about it. And so you're just like, well, I'm just going to check out. You can talk about it. Because if you don't, then your cynicism is just going to deepen. And if you're not careful, your faith will be threatened. And if your relationship with God is severed by some sort of undealt with experience in the church... It's not the church you're hurting. I mean, it is. But it's your own joy, love, peace. God is with you. He is not surprised. He's the God of His Son, of Jesus, who told us, if we listened, it's going to be hard. And if we're surprised, we will hurt worse. So we've got to move on. So there's the context. We have to meet God in understanding that disillusionment is to be expected. The second thing is we have to meet God in the grace that makes disillusionment with the church endurable. Because it is. And we see this all through our text that we've read. Is that Paul is about to do all those 16 chapters that I just laid out. He's about to tackle all those problems. He's not being some sort of just this positive, you know, person who doesn't want to deal with the hard stuff. No, he's going to deal with it a lot. But this is how he sees this local church. He doesn't see them through the lens of all that junk. He sees it through the lens of the grace of God. Firstly, through the grace that changed him. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. If you know Paul's story, he was the dude who was leading a persecution of the local church. 
And Paul doesn't just look back at his story and now live with some type of self-righteousness. No, he's the one who will continue to say, I am the chief of sinners. When he's looking at Corinth, he's not just saying, man, y'all are messed up. No, he was, he's looking in the mirror. I think Paul might say, based on even Romans 7, I know there's some debate over whether that's his experience before Christ or in Christ or after Christ or some blend. But he's, he's wrestling with why do I not do what I want to do? Why do I do what I don't want to do? But even with the chief of sinners thing, I think Paul would say in light of our, 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 our focus today is, I am the chief of disillusionments. I am the chief of disillusionments. If you have a relationship with me, at some point you're going to be disappointed because it was not as good as you hoped. (laughs) And I think that's why Paul can then do what he's doing right here. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus... He sees them as this local church. Now we know in the scriptures there's such a thing as the universal church. That is all Christians of all times, places, and cultures. But there's also this thing called the local church. And that's how the kingdom manifests itself in local settings. That's why there's a crossing. It's why it's not just there's a church of Paragold that's just going to show up in the, in the courthouse lawn or whatever every week. And, and, and I think this can be popular in circles. That, that's a good thing. That's what's happening here. Of the 113 times church is used in the New Testament, 90 of those times is focused on the local church. There's an expectation that you will be aligned with a local group of people. Read the rest of this book. It's going to be in chapter 5. It's going to talk about, you can tell the difference between those who are on the inside and the outside. Chapters 12 through 14, you're, you're the body of Christ. You have gifts, and your brothers and sisters need you to be exercising those gifts in a localized way. They need you to be luck. You need to be loving one another in a city, in a local place. There's an expectation that you'll be participating in communion in the Lord's Supper. Chapter 10, you participate in Christ as you take of the bread and the cup together with a local body of believers. If you read it, it's just like this is God's design for our growth and our worship and our discipleship. And it's just amazing. He's saying all this in this letter to these people with these problems. How can he do that? It's because he sees them through the lens of grace. They are not sanctified in their works. They are sanctified in Christ Jesus. There is such a thing as progressive sanctification where we grow along the way. But the emphasis here, and I might even dare say in most of the Bible that we miss it, is this positional sanctification where Paul looks at this group of jacked up people and he says, in Christ you are holy. That's how powerful and penetrating the grace of God is. You've been set aside as his people. You are his temple. You are the place he has chosen not merely to save but to indwell. He endures because grace is from God. Grace to you, verse 3 says, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It, it's, it's, he takes this common greeting in, in these, this letter format and he, he makes it from God. It's not Paul's grace they're living off of. It's God's grace. And in verses 4 through 7, he expresses this gratitude. 
I give thanks to you because in every way, verse 5, you're enriched in speech and knowledge. The testimony of Christ was confirmed among you. Verse 7, you don't lack in any gift. You wait for the revealing, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is going to address their crazy. But he doesn't see them defined by it. I think we sang a line in one of these songs that said something like that. It is hard not to define people by their crazy. It's hard not to define by our, ourselves by our crazy. I, I remember my grandmother, she taught school in our local town that I grew up in for like 40-something years. And so she was being inducted into the Murray County Hall of Fame, Teacher Hall of Fame. And she, she was getting older. This is a funny story in our family. So she gets up to accept these war, award in front of all these people. And you know what she wants to talk about? Her sciatic nerve. <laughs> I mean, like, it's really not the place, right, for Granny to talk about how her back's hurting and her hip. And then she starts going into all the various surgeries she's had and how she's just, you know, lucky to be standing there. Nothing about <laughs> teaching and... and <laughs> You know, I want to I want to challenge you guys when you hit these points to like don't don't go to granny status. Like you got some big problems and some big pains. That's not your whole story. That's not who you are. Yeah, it hurts bad. And you got to live with it. Right? You got to live with it. And you can talk about it. But don't let it be all you talk about. (laughs) Let it be all you talk about. One of the things when I do marriage counseling, and I'm not probably very good at it, but one thing is couples come in and it's like, this is the classic thing. He's always been like this. She's always been like this. We've, We've never been happy in our marriage of 20 years. We've just stayed together for X and X reason. And you know, sometimes that's true. But sometimes you've got to help people remember the bigger story. Why did y'all fall in love together in the first places? Now, sometimes that's weird and too. It's always an exception here. But, but a lot of times, a lot of times though, it's, it's if you just forget why you love each other. You forget what brought you together. You forget that it wasn't just 15 or 20 years of junk. You know, remember we did have a good time that one time. Remember when this happened? You, get, you start laughing together a little bit. I, th- I think Paul's he's kind of doing something like this at the beginning here. Not in a sentimentalistic, idealistic way, but like, guys, you know, I know you're getting drunk for supper and Incest in the church is bad stuff. <laughs> but let's talk, let's, let's first set the, set the conversation in, within the bounds of grace. The only way the church at Corinth is going to survive this is by the power of God's grace. A miracle of God's grace. It's the only way. It's the only thing that saved and called and sustains Paul. And he knows it's the only thing that will sustain them. So we've we've got to meet the God of grace as the glue 
for the local church. If we're going to continue to, to lean in together, that means that we've got to, to grow in our self-discernment here. We've got to let our dreams die. If you are disillusioned, very likely somebody said that means you had illusions. <laughs> right? So if you're disillusioned, it means you had illusions. And you need to go back and meet God in that. Sometimes we can't give grace to other people because, unlike Paul, we're not living in our own story of grace. So if you can't receive grace, if you're your own worst self-critic, if you're your own worst judge, and you're not resting in the fact that the shame is not welcome in the Father's room, or ever how that wonderful song said, then very unlikely you're going to be able to extend that to other people. We've got to let the grace of God grow our vision of others. Somebody said it this way in commenting on this text. Are you more aware of God's grace when you see other people or their deficiencies? So when you look at your missional community, your DNA group, your church, are you more aware of what's wrong or more aware of the grace of God there? So I guarantee you sometimes it's not a discipline reason why you don't want to show up, whether as a leader or as a participant is because you're just rehearsing what's wrong or what could be that's not or what used to be but isn't no more. And you may need to just take some time this afternoon and write your own 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 1 through 9 in light of your missional community, in light of your DNA, or in light of your church. And that may be very hard for you. You might afterwards want to write the rest of the letter too, right? <laughs> Tackle all the issues. But Paul here, through the Spirit of God, is saying, write this first. All right, very quickly here, over time. The last thing is just, we've got to meet God's faithfulness, not only uh, expecting disillusionment, seeing God's grace is what helps us to endure this disillusionment, but the, thing, the last thing is we've got to see God's faithfulness as the fuel for enduring it. So this is how our text ends. Verse 8. Who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And then Paul shifts really in his focus into that next section about divisions, but then he calls them to this unity. So to just to sum this up without all these particular points. Paul doesn't want you to live in denial so that you can live in community. Paul doesn't want you to just do better and try harder. He definitely doesn't want you to just like submit to the authority of the church so that they don't ask you where you've been. He wants you to really believe that God is faithful. And this is his project. The local church. It's not some man's program. It's God's vision for extending his grace to the nations. Through a messy people who show the world they're Jesus' disciples by the way they love one another. I don't know what could be more missional than a world that says those people are jacked up and they keep loving each other. Man, in the religious south, they expect us to do this. I love this. I'm preaching. I love it, right? This impresses nobody in our culture. It's very meaningful. But everybody's grown up around here with fake hypocritical people showing up to Sunday morning gatherings and faking a smile and saying, how you doing, brother? 
But when they're, when they see us in these relationships, not just at the Acts 2 level, but when you get into the Corinthians level, and they're like, why would you still be doing that? Do you like some sort of sadomasochist? And that's when you say, well, I'm not doing it because of them. You're right. And if you knew me, you would know how jacked up I am. I'm doing it because of this little phrase that we just read that you might have missed in chapter 9. Notice how the church is defined here. The fellowship of His Son. The fellowship of His Son. Some of you can't be in those group, in these groups because you think it's your job to save everybody and help everybody. And if you can't help people and change them, then why are you there? Well, guess what? Neither you or me or Jesus. You might not can change somebody, but you can love somebody. And God might just change them. Maybe he won't. If you're just showing up so that you can change folks, yeah, just go ahead and go home. If you're showing up cause, so that other people will love you and finally meet all of those needs and solve all those problems that nobody else ever did, well, we hope some of that happens. But it ain't all going to happen. And you may get hurt again. But it's the fellowship of his son. And if you can... We just, we just show up to stuff, don't we? No matter how much, we, like Adam said, we show up to Sunday gathering, we show up to family meal, we sh- just show up to DNA. Adam's did a great job teaching about inviting Jesus into these spaces. Like, like we need to invite him with us when we're going into these settings. You know what I mean? Like, we need to pray on the way. <laughs> and when you say, Jesus, go with me here, I'm coming with you. Adam said this morning, like, you're here because he's called a meeting with you. That, that's, when we say the church is not just our Sundays and our, but our everydays, when we say that we want to be the church like we see in Acts, where it wasn't just the big group, but it was in the homes together and in lives, it's like that's where we believe Jesus is. You know, nobody has ever been hurt more by the church than Jesus. Nobody. And we're a part of that church. And nobody loves the church more than Jesus. In Acts 20, 28, it says, He obtained the church with His own blood. The local church is spoken of as His body, His bride. When He prays for us in John 17, what's He praying? That we, we might be one. Now, this is not easy. But Jesus died for us to be together as the family of God. He took the wrath of God upon Himself for all of our unloving ways and manipulations of one another and Him in the name of church. But He did rise from the grave. And He does give us His Spirit so now that we might live into this. Now this is hard. In every church that I've been a part of, there wasn't anything bad that happened here, but I could point you to times when I was disappointed, disillusioned, and hurt. In one church, you know, you just remember the the choir director didn't like me, and my office was right beside the senior pastor's office, and you're just sitting there and listening to the, the choir director talking bad about you. 
I've got a buddy whose friend was molested by a pastor. And he got away. He was called up at the end of a service. So now he's like, every time I walk into a church building, I just remember that. And so he comes to family meal, but he doesn't come on Sunday morning. Well, it's okay. There's lots of grace and flexibility. But, but the invitation is, is that in this mess, we can experience a father, a God who was always wanting it to be about him from the start. If you were converted to this church or to some community in this church, you were converted to the wrong thing and it's not going to end well. This church, the pastors, the people are not Jesus. And they're not good news ultimately. But he is. And he loves you. He's not here to guilt and shame you this morning about whatever you've thought about all this. That's why I started. This is how I think. Nobody here might think this. I preached this seven months ago to myself. Why do we go to Disney World? Why do we take our kids there? It's not for the lines. It's for love. We love them. We love them. God loves you. God loves the church. If we're going to endure our disillusionment with it, then we've got to be met with his devotion to it. Father, we thank you that you love us. We confess how needy we are of you. Lord, even as I've confessed the many times I've only participated because I was the leader and because I really didn't love you and love others, but just didn't like how I wasn't getting loved. We thank you for your grace and for this church. We pray now against the enemy that would take your word and seek to fill us with an unhealthy guilt or shame, or fear. We pray for the spirit to both convict us and comfort us for your glory. Amen.